Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting it in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Marlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you, may you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Here ends the Old Testament reading. Very good morning. If we've not met, I'm Ian Garrett, and uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer before we look at the Bible. Father, in your written word this morning, please help us to see Jesus, our Redeemer, more clearly, and help us to see what it means to live as his redeemed people. In his name, amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. If you have been with us here, you'll know that we're learning what God has to say to us through the book of Ruth. And the best way to start, I think, is just to remind you of the story so far. So up on the screen behind me um, is a timeline. Uh, There is us in 2017. And if you go back 2,000 years, you get to when Jesus lived and died and rose again as king. Uh, And that is what the New Testament is about. If you go back another thousand years before that, you plunge into the Old Testament and uh, you get to David, 
who God gave his Old Testament people, Israel, as their king and as a pointer to the kind of king Jesus would ultimately be. Go back about another 300 years before that, and on the left-hand side you get to Moses and the time when God rescued his people from Egypt and took them into their promised land. And somewhere in between is where we are in the story of Ruth. So in chapter 1, we met Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, in what looked a hopeless situation. Uh, Both had lost their husbands. Neither had children to support them. And Naomi had also lost her family farm, so they had no way of supporting themselves. But God had provided for hopeless situations like that in his law. We tend to think of law as something negative, but God's law is an expression of his love. Because God's law said that if you were a near relative of someone like Naomi and you had the money, you should buy back the land for them. And God called that acting as a redeemer because to redeem something means to buy it back. So up on the screens here is the part of God's law about being a redeemer. And it said this, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold, buy back. So then in chapter 2, we met this man, Boaz, who began to help Ruth and Naomi with amazing kindness, which makes you wonder if he was beginning to have feelings for Ruth. And Naomi then spills the beans to Ruth that Boaz is actually a near relative of hers, so he might act as a redeemer for them. So in chapter 3, which we saw last time, Naomi engineers a meeting between Boaz and Ruth, hoping that he will both commit to acting as their redeemer and propose marriage to Ruth, which would provide amazingly for both of them. Now, you've probably heard of some uh, unusual marriage proposals. Um, I don't know if you're aware that Ken Matthews, the, the, uh, the lead minister here, proposed to his wife, Fiona, by putting each word of the proposal up on a line of trees that Fiona had to walk by each morning. So, Fiona, next tree, will you marry me? Ken, just so she was sure it wasn't John or (laughs) Steve or one of the other admirers. Well, things were even more unusual with Boaz and Ruth because instead of waiting for him to propose, she jumped in and she said, will you marry me and act as our redeemer? So let's turn to page 223 in the Bibles around the seats and we'll pick up where we left off last time with Boaz's answer to that. Page 223, uh, Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11, it's up there on the screens to remind you. Just a little dip back into chapter 3 and verse 11 where Boaz says to Ruth in response to her proposal, and now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. And now, it is true that I am a redeemer, and here comes the agonizing but. But, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So Ruth says, will you marry me and act as our redeemer? And she gets the response, yes, but. That's the cliffhanger that chapter three 
ends on. Yes, but it depends on how the conversation with this bloke goes tomorrow morning. So let's see how it did go in the next part of the story. And the next thing we see in Ruth is this, the costliness of redemption. So look over the page now to Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1, where today's reading began. uh, Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1. This is the morning after the proposal. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And uh, back then, the town gateway was like a courtyard, fairly big place where all the public business was done. Read on. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, in other words, this other bloke, the nearer relative, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And Boaz took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Boaz would have made a good dog trainer. And um, the 10 were there to be legal witnesses, like a registrar. So verse 3, then Boaz said to the redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. That was Naomi's dead husband. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So... Cliffhanger number two. It's more agonizing than the end of a Poldark or a Downton episode. What is now going to happen? Well, verse five. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, earlier, I put up that law about being a, a redeemer to help a relative in need which said nothing about marrying them. There was a different law which said that in some circumstances, um, if my brother died childless, I should marry his widow in order to continue his name, his family line. That's the idea Boaz seems to have here. No one is quite sure whether it was God's law. Strictly speaking, Naomi was the widow that Boaz was related to and had a responsibility to help. But he he rolls Naomi and Ruth together and says to this guy, redeeming Naomi involves marrying Ruth. At least that's obviously what he's prepared to do. So he's upping the stakes. So up to that point, this other bloke's calculations had gone something like this. Okay, there'd be an outlay of money uh, and Naomi to look after, but the, the money would buy a farm. The farm would become mine when Naomi dies, and Naomi's past having children, so she's just one extra mouth to feed, plus the cost of kitting out a granny flat. It's a no-brainer. Let's do it. What he hadn't calculated for was Ruth, so all of a sudden he's now thinking, hold on, Ruth is not just one extra mouth to feed. She, she's young enough to have children of her own. And they wouldn't just be more extra mouths to feed. They would inherit the farm so that what I'd paid for, I'd then lose. And so now it's a no-brainer the other way. Verse 6, the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. So he, as it were, had first dibs on helping them and he says, over to you. 
And Boaz does. Skip to verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Marlon, Naomi's two sons who'd also died. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I've bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, um, if you're troubled by some of the words there, this Bible translation talks about Boaz wanting to acquire Ruth and, and having, talking about having bought Ruth. The original doesn't quite say that. It's not a great translation. It would be better to translate it as Boaz saying something like this. In acquiring or buying the family farm, I'm also taking Ruth to be my wife in the process. The Bible does not regard a wife as the husband's property in that way. So having ironed out that detail, what is the point of this first bit of chapter 4? The point is that we see the costliness of redemption. In this other bloke, you see the the calculation of self-interest. And he does the business-like thing. He does the sensible thing. And let's face it, he may have had big Commitments of his own, big family of his own. He does the sensible thing. In Boaz, you see the costliness of redemption. You see him throw calculation to the wind. You see him making Naomi and Ruth's interests his own, whatever the price to him personally. And so at one level, uh, looking back up at our timeline, at one level, Boaz is held up to us as an example to follow if we are living for Jesus, an example of costly love that is really prepared to pay the price of, of getting deeply involved in other people's lives. But at another level, Boaz is actually pointing us to Jesus. In one way or another, everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus so that when Jesus came, people would be able to understand who he was and what he came to do. And the New Testament says what he came to do was the R word, redeem us by his death on the cross. For example, Ephesians 1, up on the screens behind me, says to anyone here trusting in Jesus, in him, in other words, in Jesus, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And if you ask yourself, hold on, what what does redemption mean? The New Testament sends you back to the Old Testament to find out. It's like your dictionary of terms. So you can go back to the book of Exodus and you can see on the, the grand scale that God redeemed his people from Egypt Uh, into the promised land. That's what redemption means. Or you can step into the book of Ruth and see on the intensely personal scale, Boaz redeeming and marrying Ruth. And that's what it means. It means finding someone in a hopeless situation, making their interests your own, and paying the price of putting their situation Right, And that is what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. He, he finds us in a hopeless situation facing God's judgment for our sin. And he steps in and he makes our sin his own. Takes responsibility for it. And he pays the price of forgiveness, which is to face the punishment they deserve. So that on the one hand, justice is done, but we're forgiven. It's not done 
on us. And this bit of chapter 4, it underlines the costliness of that and that it's the complete opposite of self-interested calculation. After all, think of Boaz marrying Ruth. Marriage is about the most uncalculated, unsensible commitment you can possibly make in life. Because as one Christian writer puts it, marriage is a relationship far more engrossing than we want it to be. It always turns out to be far more than we bargained for. And that is exactly the way it was designed to be. It is to urge us into the deep and unknown waters of real love. And its closeness is bought at a cost, which is nothing less than one's own self. And that is why the New Testament uses marriage as the picture of how the Lord Jesus relates to us. Because it cost him the cross so that he could commit himself to sinners like us forever, like a perfect husband. So what Boaz thought and did here, it's not just an example for us, although it is that. It is pointing us to what Jesus thought and did in coming from heaven to earth and from there to the cross. So that's the first thing to see. The other thing to see is this, that lives lived for God serve his plan even if we can't see how at the time. So back to this gathering at the town gate, Boaz said, uh, I'm redeeming Naomi and taking Ruth as my wife. You are witnesses this day. And look at verse 11 of chapter 4. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And then they pray. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. In other words, may Boaz and Ruth have children, which is a good thing to pray for a married couple, good thing to pray at a wedding, because children can't be taken for granted, because they're not a right They're a gift from God. And marriage doesn't guarantee the gift either. After all, in chapter 1, we know that Ruth was married to her first husband for 10 years without children. And it is a mystery of God's sovereignty over a fallen world why some couples, some of us here, go through so much waiting and painful disappointment before being able to have children and why others find that they're unable to have children of their own at all. But those hard things at least do this. They remind us that children are not to be taken for granted and that we need to take this area of our lives to the Lord in prayer. But then notice why they are praying for Boaz and Ruth to have children. It's so that they will build up God's people numerically. Halfway through verse 11 again. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So Rachel and Leah were Jacob's two wives who bore most of his sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that was polygamy. Uh, It wasn't God's will, but he used a a sad and sinful situation to serve his plan. But there's a little label on it saying, do not do this at home. And the people here prayed for Boaz and Ruth to build up God's people numerically in the same way. Because in Old Testament times, God's saving plan centered on having a people who were a nation, one nation. And so 
Israelites, having more Israelites, served that saving plan. Since Jesus, having children does not have the same significance in God's saving plan. We still live in a creation that needs the procreation of the next generation and the nurture of them. But when it comes to salvation, God is not working any longer through one national people. He is working through an international body of all those who trust in Jesus. And you don't, bo- you don't join that by being born. You join that by being born again, spiritually. So I pray that my physical children will also become my spiritual children as, as God brings them to faith, as I teach them Christ. But whether or not we here have physical children, we can all serve God's plan by praying for him to add more spiritual children to what is the ultimate family. The biological family isn't. God's family is the ultimate family. And we can pray for him to add more spiritual children through our sharing of the gospel. But the last thing to notice is that they prayed for children or a child who would be really significant in God's plan. Look down to verse 12 to end with. They prayed, and may your house, in other words, your family, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. No reason you should know this, but Perez was a particularly kind of important, significant guy in the tribe of Judah that Boaz belonged to. And so they, they prayed, Lord, give them, give them offspring as significant as that. And they didn't realize how low they were aiming. Because Ruth's baby, Obed, he has a son called Jesse, who has a son called David, who becomes the king of all Israel, and most importantly, starts the royal line into which Jesus is born to reclaim the kingship of the whole world for God. And that was the point of that New Testament reading from Matthew 1, the genealogy that is your sort of nightmare uh, when you come to it in your, in your daily Bible reading. But that's the significance of it. This is the family line into which the Redeemer is finally going to be born. Ken will unpack more of that in the last of this series. But the point for now is that at the time, Boaz and Ruth had no idea of the significance of their lives and their marriage and their child. We can see it looking back, but at the time they had no idea. They just thought that they were ordinary little people living ordinary little lives. And that's what we feel, isn't it? We are just ordinary little people. We watch the Olympics or true life story films like Hacksaw Ridge to see the extraordinary, but that's not us. We're ordinary little people in ordinary little jobs, ordinary little families, ordinary little church. Some of us have had that midlife moment of realizing it's never going to be more than that now. And that can be hard to come to terms with. Some of us have had that later in life moment of thinking, well, actually, what is it all counted for? And the assurance of the book of Ruth is that lives lived for God serve his plan, even if we can't see how we've done that at the time. Lives lived for God serve his plan. We may not be that much or achieve that much in the world's eyes, but if, like Boaz and Ruth, we simply live 
godly lives. God will take that, weave that into his plan in ways beyond our understanding. And one day in heaven, we will fully and finally see how he's done it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this lovely pointer to what you did in redeeming us. We praise you that in heaven you threw calculation to the wind, laid aside your glory in becoming man, and went to the cross to pay the price of God-forsakenness for our sin. We praise you that you rose from the dead, and on the strength of all of that, that you can and do commit yourself forever to sinners like us. And thank you too for this assurance that if we live for you, however little and ordinary we feel, you will use our godliness to serve your plan. Lord, help us to trust in your redemption of us and help us to trust that you are using our lives. In your name we pray.